know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Kaylee Murphy and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Howdy. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. I'm just drinking my coffee here. I know. It looks delicious. Got one of the new Dunkin' Donuts, good seasonal flavors. I know. It looks good. We just came off of a long, long weekend, didn't we? We did. We had a great time at Blue Highway. We did. We had so much fun. Dan Tominski is amazing. Yes, he's epic. So for those that don't know, I was taking pictures and Kaylee was emceeing. Great time. It was. It was so much fun. And it's like a plug for them because that festival was amazing. Definitely. Can't wait for next year already. What was cool is your son got to meet Dan. He did. He got him to sign his banjo. And then Dan wanted him to play for him, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Dan Tominski is a 14-time Grammy winner, and he sings the song from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes. The guy's got, like, one of the most well-known voices. Definitely, and he used to sing with Allison Krauss at yep. Union Station, Lonesome River Band. Crazy. Yeah. He's he's my favorite. Yeah, I would say he's probably my favorite band there the whole time. He's photogenic, too. Oh. He's a goofball. Yeah, he definitely is. And I, he was the second one. I started a Polaroid project there. Where I photograph the artist, let them hold the picture, look at it, and get them to sign it. Oh. So I've got an album now of like, I don't know, six or seven of the artists that I've done that with. That's neat. I know. Pretty fun. I like that. I know. So when I die one day, somebody's going to find this album. They're going to be like, holy crap, who found, who had all these famous people? <laughs> you have to will that to me. I know. I'm thinking you just leave it to Kaylee. I don't know. Jody might fight for it. Oh, man. Maybe she'll make me a copy. There you go. <laughs> well, we've got a great guest with us today, guys. Yes, we do. Childhood friend of mine, big goober, Robbie Kilgore with HSN. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. How's it going? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself, real quick. Rundown. Let's go. So obviously, we, me and Josh went to high school together, both graduated in 2003. Yeah. I went straight into the military, so I was in the Army. I was in the Army for 12 years. After I got back from Iraq, I guess it's 2006. I uh, decided hey, I want to move up in the military. I want to try to get some college under my belt. Yeah. And uh, I did a, I applied for a thing called Green to Gold, a Green to Gold scholarship. Uh, so I got accepted. Army paid for all my school to go to uh, ETSU, East Tennessee State. Obviously, hometown guy here. Yeah. Uh, did four years at ETSU, graduated as a second lieutenant. Then I got to go back in the military as an officer. My first duty station was Fort Campbell, 101st Infantry Division there. Did a little time there. Long story short, got promoted to the rank of captain. Moved over to Fort Bragg after the captain's career course. Decided it was time to get out. I spent enough time away from my fan, friends and family. Yeah. Uh, we moved. Wanted to move back to this area. There's not a lot of industry here. So I mm-hmm. said, hey, I'll, I'll find a, a job I can make just as much money as a captain at the time. And luckily, lo and behold, Amazon came around. Gave me a pretty good offer. Uh, so I started with Amazon in 2015. Uh, worked for them for a little over three years. Uh, got to open several different sites down outside of Atlanta, helped with the Kansas City launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of my time was in Chattanooga there. Did that realize, hey, this is kind of stressful in 80, 90, 100-hour weeks? Yeah. And uh, I was gone a lot, especially when I started going to, the, to help with the launch buildings. Um, 
I left there and went to work for Volkswagen for a year. And before finally actually getting to come here, uh, Home Shopping Network, which I didn't even know existed in Pawnee Flats, mm-hmm. uh, million square foot warehouse facility up there, ships all over the world, about 80, 85% of all it's, the... It's hard to miss it. It's like a mile long. Yeah, it's huge. And But yeah, I just didn't know that growing up here, and I knew that was an opportunity. And then I saw that online, so God's good, and said, hey, there's a there's an ops manager position here all nights, and I got to meet the, the GM there, Sean Sawyer, and just immediately connected with the guy. He's a former military guy as well. HSN has been a great community partner. They've donated to us for our safe house and for some of our group homes. You know, some of the stuff that doesn't get sold or gets returned. They've been very nice to let us have it. And we use all the stuff for those that can't, you know, afford it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so we have some, like, good agreements with our vendors. You know, if they don't want it, we have a scrap agreement. You know, they're going to do anything with it. So they say, hey, you know, it's pretty much yours. Normally, we... We trash that stuff, right? It goes into a landfill, and I was like, "Hey, what better way to can we can we repurpose this stuff? Can we give it to somebody that's in need? Whether it's you know women's hygiene products." Uh, so it's been a really good. Oh, I remember the first load we got. The safe house director <laughs> Tina Johnson cried. Oh wow! Yeah, she went in there and she opened a box and it was full of Nike T-shirts. Wow! And she cried. She's like, "There's a family that needs these right now," and she went and took them to them. Yeah. No, I would tell you. So I've been with HSN now for four years. By far the best team, best company I've worked for. Yeah. I mean, just such a good culture, such a good team. I remember you took us on a tour there. It was great. <laughs> it's, it is huge. You've got some great murals in there, too, which is crazy. Yeah, people, people don't think about, you know, like when you go to like downtown Johnson City or downtown Bristol, murals like that. So we have those inside of our, our building. Got named Buster Chapman, Ray Chapman. Just painted all by hand with rollers and brushes and wow. and a boom lift and just insane. They're they're pretty epic. They're pretty big and That's, really impressive. Yeah. That's really cool. I can't even draw stick people, so, you know. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, before we get into it, we like to ask our guests fun questions. And one of my questions is, who's your favorite Mario Kart character? Favorite Mario Kart character would be Yoshi. Just because when he would go by, he'd stick his tongue out. And he was always, <laughs> and he was always the fastest. There you go. Oh, okay. See, the fastest now depends on your car setup. <laughs> it's way too complicated. I don't know. It's gotten ridiculous. I love it. I have a PhD in Mario Kart. It's, it's gotten now. ridiculous. You love it. <laughs> oh, I do. I play all the time. I play every night. It is good. Oh, it's yeah. a lot of fun. It is. When you play the guys over in Japan, it's a bit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, you're Josh really is, into Mario Josh is like a high level I do, Mario no, Kart. Wait, I play clear. online pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. I love my he, Mario Kart. He's next level. <laughs> Yes. Remind me never to play you in Mario Kart. I'm, I've gotten so competitive at home. We usually play at Christmas that now nobody wants to play with me at Christmas. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of sad. That's my favorite thing to do. No wonder that's always your favorite question to ask our yeah, guests. Yeah, no, I love it. Just yeah. love it. And you can tell a lot by people by the character they choose. Oh, okay. Yeah. He fits for Yoshi. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like to eat. All right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's a good thing, too. I get that. Yeah. All right. So my question is, what's your favorite movie of all time? Oh, Forrest Gump. No questions oh, asked. Really? Yeah, one. I love Forrest Gump. Well, well, how come? I guess just, just going through all different years. I love the album. I love the soundtrack. I'm a big music guy. Yeah. So uh, there's not a song that I don't love or grew up with listening. Well, that brings me into my next question. I knew you were a huge Creed fan. <laughs> Old school. Growing up. But what Old is school. now your favorite band? Uh, I'm back on a Metallica kick here now. Their new they, album? Yeah, I mean, just those guys are they're old oldie but goodies. They still rock. They do. I mean, they're just powering down and the world tour. So next year, and my son loves it too. I remember the first time Rocky heard uh, 
it was a Wolfen man or something. But he's just hitting in the truck, hitting the, the seats and everything. And I was like, oh, he's feeling it. He's getting it. Yeah, even to be like I said, seven, eight years old, and to have that, it's, it's a big impact. Yeah, I remember the first Metallica song I heard, and it's just so. Those guys still rock. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, not, hopefully we can go to next August. We want to go to the the Boston show. We love Boston. We went last year, and we definitely want to go back. So I have a friend that got one of the picks in the crowd. Yeah, and uh, they actually have their logo on their picks. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, and. He got one of the big triangle ones. I don't know which. I don't know if it's Kurt or I don't know which one plays with a big triangle one. Oh, uh, it's got to be James. Got to be James Hetfield. You think so? Uh, I don't know. I don't know for a fact. I would assume. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So my next question is: Who's your favorite cartoon or animated character of all time? Favorite cartoon animated character of all time. I want to guess before you say. <laughs> Give him an idea because I think he's still thinking. About I it. He looks I'm, like that's, that's a hard question. He looks like a Bugs Bunny guy. No, I, don't, you know, I love I love Bugs Bunny. <laughs> well, mine is Foghorn Leghorn. Do you remember him? I love Foghorn. the rooster. Yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn is a good one. Yeah, it's a very good one. I grew up watching that with my dad. So, so I guess I I do like Elmer Fudd. If we're going like old school Looney Tunes. <laughs> I do love me some Elmer Fudd. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of my papa on that big old goofy hat he had. It's like <laughs> old man essentials. That's a good one. I'm a, I'm a Captain America guy. If I had to pick, I'm Captain oh, America. Oh, God. If we were picking Marvel people, he's an American guy. Can do yeah. Can do I'm, I'm, Iron man guy. I'm all for the stars and bars. Red, white, and blue. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice, formal diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. If you, your child, or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health crisis, you can now dial 988 and you'll be able to speak with a crisis specialist right away or go to the nearest emergency room. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. So, Rob, can you expand a little bit more on what you exactly do for HSN? Yeah, so, like I said, I've been with HSN for four years. I started off as an ops manager. I was working night shift. I was in charge of pretty much the whole building on nights. Our GM, he tasked me with, hey, I need somebody I can own the business at night so I can actually go to sleep and get some rest and know that I can trust them that they're going to run the day-to-day operations. There's four main tenants of any any real business. We're a Fortune 500 company pretty much true across all of those but safety quality productivity uh team building really everything starts with team building and culture and people if you don't have people then you don't have a business right Mm -hmm. you can't ship and take care of customers ship things to customers and meet that customer demand so uh, for me now i'm a senior operations manager Uh, so what that is is i'm over all of reverse logistics and inbound operations so everything that comes in the building you know our 2.1 million uh units last month i'm in charge of all that and making sure we again we do it safe we follow the process and protect the quality of it uh, to make sure the right thing's going in the right spot. And the, the right item is what we say it is mm-hmm. before we put it away, before it gets picked. Overall productivity, you know, we have certain commitments that we've made to the network as far as budgets. What we say, hey, we're going to do, you know, this much volume with this much labor, and this is what it's going to cost us. Are any big projects that we have planned? So just overall productivity, making sure we're hitting those rates and staying consistent. So 
even to our shareholders, they can look and say, hey, they're they're lowering the overall CPU. We're making more money. More people out there, shareholders say, hey, I want to invest into this company and make the stock price go up. Right. Well, will you share what it was like for you growing up and maybe what pivotal moment happened that helped set you on your path of success? So for me, my my mom and dad split when I was eight years old. Uh, so that was a really big impact for me. My mom was a very hard worker. Like, like me, she's a spitball. She's got a lot of energy, a lot of fire, and still to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just seeing her not quit, right, just be resilient, because mm-hmm. my dad completely left, never paid child support. Right. So we ended up for two years, and we lived in a pretty rough area of, of Kingsport. I didn't realize, you know, I was poor mm-hmm. at the time. But looking back at those things, I was like, that made me a really good person. I think it keeps you humble to to what's really important in life. So if you see somebody struggling, you want to help that person, You want to, especially if you have the means and the ability. Mm-hmm. And my mom met my stepdad, which – you know, I've called dad. He's been my dad. He's yeah, been the person that really, yeah, just raised me. So, Lewis Kilgore, guy worked at Eastman for 49 years. Wow. Uh, you know, you don't really hear of things like that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guy never called in sick. He was just always, so, like, I had really good influences. I didn't realize at the time, you know, especially older I got, being a teenager, thinking I knew it all and what I wanted to do. And I was dead set on the Army. But I will tell you, when I got into the Army, and even that first week, you know, what they call Hell Week or Red Phase, I really appreciate my. I was really homesick, and I remember the first time, you know, they let you call home, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a dry in the room. Mm-hmm. You got, you know, drill sergeants in the background screaming and yelling at you, and mm-hmm. literally you get two minutes, and after your two minutes is up, they just come by and just start clicking the phones, pay phones at the time. Wow. I'll just never forget, like, you know, hey, this is me. I'm on my own. What I always thought I wanted and kind of rebelled against. Yeah. I realized, like, what's really important in having those those two folks in my life. Yeah. That is a pivotal moment. Thanks for sharing that with us. All right, so Robbie, as a leader coming out in the military and now with HSN, what is the best way to mentor others? What have you found is something that can encourage, especially during challenging times? So a lot of things I do take from the military, which I feel is just common sense, but, you know, I don't see a lot, especially in the civilian workforce, just the overall leadership and then the ability to engage and connect with people. A lot of times we get this kind of boss you know, subordinate mentality where, you know, I'm the boss and hey, these are things I need done and you just check up on them and you're just managing from a high level. Which right. Really, that doesn't get the best out of people, right? Our job as a leader is to connect with people, empathize with them, and just and build a relationship, get to know somebody. Some people will work a million times harder for you if they know you really do care about them. I and that's the same thing. It's that servant leadership mindset in the military. I know when we went on a tour, you took us on a tour, the first thing that jumped out to me is Robbie knew everybody's name. Yeah, he knew him well. He was, you know, interacting with him really well, and was all the people were happy to see him. You could tell he was really engaged. Yeah, knew who who was working for him and who he was with. And it's funny because when I was in the military, I always had this mindset that I need to be a certain type of person. I need to be like a Patton, right? I need to be a very boisterous, loud, you know, commanding, authoritarian leader that people will look to. What I learned is that really doesn't work, right? People just you end up leading by fear and people are afraid of what you're going to do or, you know, mm-hmm. how you're going to, you know, punish them if they don't meet a certain standard. Yeah. You know, and I saw that real time alive in some of my, my privates and team members that were in my, you know, ranks at the time. Getting out now and being into the civilian world, I realize obviously that doesn't work, right? Our people aren't military, you know, they're not, they're going to have all that discipline and somebody comes to your house at four o'clock in the morning and says, hey, we're going to go run 10 miles, I'll slam the door and take a pound sand, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's different, different, obviously different culture, but for me, Getting in the trenches, i.e., so to speak, working with folks, you know, at HSN and then being able to just do it with them and just see what they go through and then help remove some of those barriers. Like, that's been the biggest, and and that's no nonsense. It's no BS. That's 
seeing people realize that you care and want to help them and make their lives easier. It's, that's why we're so successful where we're at on our side. We're the flagship of all the network. It's because of that. We always consistently have the highest scores as far as our voice survey and our we have a called thing called happy or not. So that that brings up a question in my head bouncing back to the military coming out of it. Did you struggle with anything coming out of the military, you know, with mental health or you know, was there anything that you No, so for me not really. You know, I mean there's things that you know, obviously I think a lot of military folks, especially going through deployments, and there was Iraq was a crazy time. Yeah, you know, for me, two thousand five, I was with the best group of guys ever. I was an infantry guy at the time, and so you, it takes people. You have to have that support system and that structure. So you have people that you really can lock arms with and get you through those things. You know, I really didn't. It, I would say it was the best of times. It was the worst of times because I would go back to those times tomorrow. And I know that sounds crazy for a lot of people, but just being able to really do your job as an infantry guy and a, and a guy in the military. That's what we train to do. And so when you actually do deploy, it's super scary. You act like we're tough, like, oh, let's go. And we want to go defend the country and, you know, yeah. take up for 9-11. But when you really get over there, like, oh, this is kind of scary. And these people really, really do want to kill us. They don't want us to be there. Yeah, it becomes real. Yeah, so, you know, as far as, like, PTSD and all that stuff, I never really struggle with any of that stuff. You know, I mean, every once in a while you'll have, like, a, a dream or something where you, I'll fixate on somebody or those in my platoon from years back. And I'll think about them earlier in that day, and it's like that night I'll have a dream about them or something. But nothing, nothing crazy, nothing, nothing. I guess impedes me from doing my day to day. You've always I, been able to say, "Hey, yeah, I've always talked talk, about it." Yeah, right? You, you yeah. were always good about talking about it. And yeah, I mean, anything that does bother me, there's there are things that are. You just reach out to somebody. It's keeping that stuff up inside is not healthy, there my opinion. Go. Very true. All right, so in talking about being a leader, I know something we talk about a lot is micromanagement. You ever had any experiences with that? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, of course, the military is very micromanaged, as I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast. You know, they get hell week or red phase, and it's complete micromanagement, right? They they literally watch and track everything you do, even to the amount of toilet paper that you all consume in the in the <laughs> wow. latrines, right? So you get, you know, two, two little swipes of toilet paper, and then that's it, right? <laughs> yeah. And you don't get a lot of time either. So, yeah, as far as military, of course. But when I got out and I worked for Amazon, I really started learning business, right, and all those metrics, what we call key performance indicators and safety and quality, productivity, team building, as far as your attrition and attendance. And they measured things to the nth degree. I mean, it was never – even if you exceeded that rate, that was the new standard. I'll never forget there was a time the plan for the day was to ship like 80,000 units and – you know, we exceeded that was like we beat it by 120%. But the previous week, we did 121% to that plan. And so I remember going, you know, I was high fiving all my guys, and it's like, hey, you guys crushed it today. Like, what an awesome day. But I remember going up front, and I was getting ready to, you know, pack out and leave for the day. And the GM there at the time, he said, hey, Rob, uh, hey, what the hell happened? What the hell happened today? I was like, what do you mean? We had an awesome dang day, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm back here high five my guys. He's like, yeah, but last week, you know, we ran 121% to plan. He's like, you know, we talk about benchmarking. He's like, that's new standard. What are we going to do to get better week over week, you know, month over month? And I had to write a bridge. Right. I had to explain, like, why we didn't beat what we did, you know, the week prior to that. It was just so demoralizing. Like, yeah. I never, I just felt crushed. I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was, I learned, like, it's never enough. And only because in business, if you're not growing, you are dying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are the competitions out there going to try to find a way to do it faster, cheaper, with more people. And how do you constantly raise that bar? But do it in a way what's not unhealthy towards your population, not micromanage your folks. Yeah. But yeah, that that was a very difficult time. So that's how I realized it wasn't a personal thing. It is just business. How did you deal with it? Well, at first, 
I, I guess not good. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a same team kind of person, right? I remember having a conversation with my boss about a week later. And I explained exactly what I felt. I was like, hey, look, I was like, I feel like I'm coming here and busting my butt. Like, I really care. I'm passionate. I'm going to give you the same amount of energy and passion and fire that I did in the military because this is my new team. This is my family, right? This yeah. is what my job is to keep together, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, to get that kind of that slap in the face, I said, man, it just makes me feel like a, a failure. Like, I've never felt like that, especially in the military. You know, we don't fail. Mm-hmm. You, don't, right. you don't lose in the military. People, You lose, people die. And so for me to get that feedback, I was just like, hey, like I'm on the same team as you. We have the same goal. You give me that feedback, like it really just tears me out, right? Mm-hmm. Kills me. And it was, I guess, by my direct boss, he got it. You know, he fully empathized with me. He's like, hey, Rob, let me, let me teach you something. Let me teach you the bigger story. You know, it's never going to be enough. Just give me the kind of hard facts of, you know, hey, we're all expendable uh, as far as business, right? You know, I could kill over today, and then I'll have the next person in there tomorrow or the next day. Mm-hmm. So I really took all that to heart. I was like, hey, like, okay, just look, do the best you can. Control what you can. If anything I've learned in the civilian world and business now is just control what you can all through COVID, all these different things, like just let it be and do the absolute best you can. And if it's not enough, then sometimes you can grow better and foster, I guess, bloom in a better environment, mm-hmm. you know, being replanted and part of that. Cause that was for me, for, for Volkswagen and now HSN leaving Amazon. Mm-hmm. So, and again, now I'm not micromanaged and I feel like, and again, I'm true military guy. Just give me a left and right limit. Give me those lanes to, to stay in that I can't go outside of, and I'll get the result. Just mm-hmm. tell me what you want. I'm not going to just lay down or be complacent. We're always going to try to find a way to get there, but do it in a healthy way. And I think if you share it with your team as well and let them know what your vision, hey, here's what I'm thinking. This is what the direction I think we can go and achieve. What you guys think? And then get their buy-in and then help them be part of the planning process. There's nothing that cannot be accomplished. And we've done that a lot here in the last year, year and a half, just the two new departments that took over. Yeah. So building off that, you know, creating a resilient team seems to be the way to ensure you are placing people first. Can you share with everybody what you mean by a culture house? Yeah, so we had a sister site up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania that was kind of struggling at the time. And, you know, everyone will figure out, hey, how do we improve the bottom line, right? How do we reduce cost per unit? How do we push more volume out and all those things? But you got to go to the root cause. And something, again, I learned in the military is people are your most precious resource. But I wouldn't see that or feel that, right? I'm a big I'm a big Simon Sinek guy. So I talked about earlier about being a, a patent guy and, you know, yeah. hardcore and just go, go, go and push the team. Really, I've kind of matured that into this Simon Sinek approach is how you make people feel. Yeah. Every day, every conversation that you have, do you make somebody feel good or bad, right? Do they leave out of there saying, hey, that person really cares about me and wants to do the best? So as far as engaging and connecting with people, you know, I learned there's some consistent principles of just people, how I'd want to be treated. Like what's important to me, I feel is important to a lot of people. Uh, so the first thing for the, the house is trust, like and especially leadership. If I don't trust a person or trust a leader is going to give me you know, accurate information or really going to own it to the level that they should, then I've already got concerns, right? It's not going to be that good, true, close relationship, just like you'd have with a friend. In the military, you have that because you're going to trust people are going to keep you alive, right, and left. But a lot of times in business, you don't see that. You have a lot of people that are really focused on just their self-career and how they mm-hmm. want to grow and build and move up. And it's, it's not about that to me. It's about the team. So for me, that, that trust was always sacred because it's something that takes a long time to build and gain, but it can be lost in just a second, right? Just one action or one incident that happens, you know, happens can break trust. Uh, and it creates a toxic environment or can 
in a workplace. So for me, that has to be solid. Once that's established, and again, trust takes time. You have to show that you're willing to care and, and be there for people. You have to see that. So that's your, your foundation of the house. From there, there's three pillars. So, uh, you know, that far left pillar, I, I, there's three pillars that build up and hold up this house, right? The, the far left pillar being uh, just the job itself. As a team member, as a person working on you, do you do you enjoy what you do? Do you like what you do? And either you do or you don't. Even if you don't like the job, you know, some people still come in to work because it's worth the money. And so that's the second pillar, right? And so you have that, that middle pillar there holding up the, the roof. And money is important. It's not the most important thing, but it dang sure helps, right? Especially now and the economy is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know a lot of people that, you know, work seven days a week, 12 hours a day just for that money. That's all they're focused on. And to me, that can be a really horrible way to live if that's all you're focused on. Mm-hmm. Um the last pillar, the most important pillar, is the, the leader itself. Mm-hmm. And so this is this why I say this is the most important. Because even if I knock out the middle pillar of money, and I left a really good job at Amazon making really good money at the time, uh, to me it wasn't about that. I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I remember I bought a boat that first year, and I only got to take it out a couple of times. And so it's like, hey, you know, I'm making all this money, but I really get to enjoy it. Am I really happy? Does this really make me happy? The answer was just no. Um but you give me a job that, hey, I enjoy the job and I enjoy fulfillment. You know, I enjoy fulfilling customer orders and just making all that happen. You know, shipping 120, 150,000 units today, it's an impressive thing all over the world. But having that, you know, strong leader, if I've got a job that I like the job itself and I have a good leader, the money can be a little less. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I know that leader cares, and I come into work, and I have to feel berated or micromanaged. Uh, so those are power. Those are very intrinsic things that I think we we overlook sometimes. Yeah, I completely agree. I think feeling valued and validated by the person you know who who is your leader is so important. And I would wager to say for most people, even more important than money or or schedule Absolutely. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you mentioned team building earlier and that you guys do quite a bit of that. Can you tell us some things you do for team building? Yeah. So, you know, a couple months back, it, I think like a lot of companies, you know, we try to find a, a big event to have every year, you know, so we had a fall festival actually two weeks ago where we had a big cookout for the team members. A couple months ago, we went to a uh, Johnson city Doughboys game where we paid for all the team members to go to do that. Next month, starting next month, our team members can actually go to the Speedway Children's Charities, mm-hmm. uh, the Bristol Motor Speedway. They can go to that for free. We have two nights where it's an HSN night. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. So, and plus, it actually, you know, it's a way for us to kind of help market and get our names out because a lot of people don't know we exist in this area. You know, it's a Fortune 500 company. And when I say, when I tell people where they work, they're like, hey, where's that at? Or what do you do? Yeah. So I think it's really good. Obviously, it goes to a good cause. But the most important thing, I mean, just on, I think on a daily basis, we really, our population of leaders really care about our folks. Like, a, hey, how's your sister doing? Hey, your cousin or your brother had surgery last week. People are really connected, and it's real. It's genuine. It's not like it's a forced, rehearsed thing right. with our leaders. And there's always saying hire for character first. That really is true. But, yeah, we do. We had a returns palooza uh, last month, and we set a, a volume record. We ended up doing like 26,000, 27,000 returns in a day which is a huge record. Everybody's like, how the heck did you do that? We played music all day. We're out there. You know, people had a chance to win prizes. If they hit certain numbers, we had them compete against themselves. So if they had a better rate, you know, because some people are just not as fast as others, right? Sometimes yeah. your fastest people always win. How do you get the the medium performers that still do well, but let them challenge themselves. You know, so if I'm Rob and I did 15 this last hour, I may be in the middle of the pack, but, you know, the next hour I do 22, I, I might be the most improved yeah. so I can still win. So I think things like that, just having fun, 
we put wigs on. And I'm, I'm crazy. I bring a lot of energy to work. Just I know to, you all had cornhole <laughs> set up too. Hula hoops. Yeah, we had cornhole. Like again, just things that we would want. You know, we always talk about what what's important to us. What would we want in the workplace? And we try to bring that to the, the team. And then we just listen to them. Hey, what do you guys want? Of course, this peak season, we're giving away a lot of huge gifts, big Lego sets. Uh, TVs, you know, speakers. We we kind of go all out for our folks. That's, That's great. awesome. Yeah, making it fun. All right. So one last question: If you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't ask you? Oh gosh, that's a that's a big question. Well, we asked a lot. So. <laughs> I guess you know we had a one of our senior directors that came down, and I always ask like, hey, you know, what keeps you up at night? Because mm-hmm. I always wonder like. At that strategic level, and I know I had a lot of stresses, especially through COVID that I was dealing with at a at a senior operations level, but I can only imagine at a director level where you're dealing with multiple sites and multiple personalities. The thing I've learned is over the years, uh, as you go and I go up the, the, the chain or the corporate ladder, so to speak, just the amount of responsibility, like there's not a lot of people to, to kind of confide in and go to, right? It's kind of that, that saying it's lonely at the top, but... Uh, I guess as far as, you know, what keeps you up at night, my answer to that right now is my mom. <laughs> it's not even work-related. It's just, you know, my mom, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, actually on Thanksgiving. And so she's dealing with those things and, you know, we're selling off a lot of his stuff. And, you know, those are not easy conversations to have, and especially when you're trying to price things. But as far as that, you know, it's just how do I get through day-to-day uh, with that? But, you know, I always challenge people. And ask them, hey, what keeps them up at night? Because those are things that really, when you lay in bed and it's still and it's quiet, you know, who you are is when you're alone in the dark mm-hmm. and you got nothing but your thoughts. Like, those are things that are most important to you. And how do you help people solve and, and fix those problems, if you can, yeah. you know, and really knowing that about people. I think that's a very intimate way to connect with somebody and really know who somebody is. Yeah, I think the first step is just talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we have services here where people can just come talk if you're ever having a really hard time and... You know, things are going over the edge. Like, you you know, we have the 988 emergency number. You can call or text. Yeah, absolutely. There's all kinds of services that we offer, and, you know, they're for anybody and everybody. So you don't have to have something majorly going wrong in your life to have a a safe space to come and talk to somebody. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. We really, uh, we're really honored to have you on our show. This was good. Yeah. So for our Impact Stigma family, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Impact Stigma, and we thank you for continuing to listen. Yeah, and don't forget that you can find this uh, podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon, all that good stuff. Yeah. We can't wait to spend time with you guys again soon, and thank you for continuing to help us make an impact. Stigma can help make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous emotional and economical burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions and directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family, because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, First, subscribe to this podcast. 
Then go visit our website, impactstigma.com, and watch the video on how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. We are so grateful you chose us. We want to thank our guest again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to impact stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you to go make an impact.